Welcome to the official ABA Law Student Podcast, where we talk about issues that affect law students and recent grads. From finals and graduation to the bar exam and finding a job, this show is your trusted resource for the next big step. You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the ABA Law Student Podcast on Legal Talk Network. I'm Fabiani Duarte, chair of the ABA Law Student Division. I'm a third-year law student at Mercer University School of Law in Georgia. Our show today is presented by the American Bar Association's Law Student Division. In this monthly podcast, we interview guests and cover topics of interest for law students and recent grads. From finals to graduation and the bar exam to finding a job, we hope this show is a trusted resource for you, our listeners. For today's show, we welcome Ajay Marotra, the American Bar Foundation Director. Welcome, Ajay. Thank you for having me. It's my honor and pleasure to be here. Well, for our listeners uh, out there, tell us a little bit about what the ABF is. Sure, sure. So it's the American Bar Foundation, and we are an independent research institute. Uh, Our scholars study uh, law writ large. So we have a group of uh, legal and social scientists. So we study our work is at the intersection of law and social science, and it looks at all kinds of things about law, legal institutions, and legal processes. So some people have said it's like a think tank? It is. One way to think about it is like a think tank. I had a former director once describe the American Bar Foundation as the Brookings Institution for Law, and that's always sort of resonated in my mind. So yes, you could think about it as a, as a think tank, but not just policy-based. We, we do serious academic research. So what sets us apart is that we do in-depth uh, empirical and interdisciplinary research on law and legal institutions and legal processes. So what are some examples of that in-depth work you do? Sure. So we have a, a number of projects. So we have a, a number of scholars working in clusters of different research areas. And one, of course, is on, on the legal profession itself. So as many law students may already know, there's been a long-standing study called After the JD. And that is an ABF study. That's the study we began over 10 years ago in which we were tracking uh, law graduates. So we tracked about 5,000 of them over the course of about 12 years. And we've been continuously tracking them and seeing what that small, it's a small sample size, but it's still representative. And that tells us a little bit about what's going on in the profession, about mobility, for example, um, the notion that not everyone who starts as a lawyer remains a lawyer. So we're seeing incredible signs of vitality of mobility from actually practicing law in in a private practice to going in-house to starting your own business. Getting a law degree opens up a lot of doors. People have always said that. And now we've got empirical evidence to show that's that's accurate. Um, Our After the JD study also demonstrates that there's some some issues we need, some challenges. So there's the stubborn persistence of pay gaps uh, for gender and people of color uh, still exists. And we now have empirical evidence to demonstrate that's the case. Uh, so these kinds of studies, they take a long time. Uh, as I mentioned, we've been doing this for over a decade now, uh, following the same cohort, interviewing them now to learn more about it. And, and one of the interesting findings that we've come, that's come out of this study in particular is that most people from this cohort are happy they went to law school. They're satisfied with their careers. And so don't have the exact numbers offhand, but... So, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 to 70% believe that the going to law school was a good choice. And that's different than what we're hearing in the mass media. 
that going to law school is a bad decision. All you do is get debt and you can't find a job. And, and I don't mean to discount the importance of that. And our study does not do that. It, it demonstrates that there is still some challenges. But what we're seeing is that over the long durée, people who go to law school are generally happy with their career choice. Yeah, one thing um, I was really uh, impacted by in a speech that you gave mm -hmm. uh, yesterday at the uh, ABA mid-year meeting in San Diego was that um, you, you found that uh, law students value mobility a lot, mm -hmm. and they also value the degree even if they don't pursue an actual legal career. Um, could you speak a little bit more about sure, that? Sure, sure. And, and so the, the data isn't quite clear on the numbers on this, but what we are seeing is mobility from private practice to in-house general counsel to other businesses. And I think this is well documented in a number of other areas, too. So, for example, as, as law students probably know, uh, U.S. News & World Report now tracks graduates who go into positions with which what is referred to as J.D. Advantage jobs. Those are examples of people who are getting JDs but not practicing law. They're also not flipping hamburgers, right? So let's be clear. This is, this is opportunities that arise because legal training is still important. So the world is not less complicated than it was 10 or 15 years ago or before the Great Recession. It's increasingly complicated, and legal knowledge can be applied in a number of areas. Compliance work, for example. Uh, I used to teach tax law. A lot of my students didn't go to, to work at tax law firms. They went to the accounting firms and were using their legal knowledge in that capacity. So I think law school still does open up many doors and many possibilities. One of those ways that you mentioned that knowledge can be applied is um, in uh, different types of um, public work, even uh, social activism work. Yes. One of the stats that really resonated with me was uh, about uh, the children of incarcerated mothers. You mentioned uh, a statistic like they have a 2% probability for completing college, something like that. Yeah, so let me tell you a little bit about that research. We have a, a number of scholars working at the intersection of criminal justice, and one of the we have a sociologist by the name of John Hagen, who has been studying for many years now the social consequences of mass incarceration. And so when we often think about incarceration, we only think about the individual who's incarcerated. But what John's work and Tracy Birch's work, another scholar who's affiliated with the American Bar Foundation, what their work shows us is in fact there are broad social consequences, not just for the person who's incarcerated, but for their children and for the broader community. And so I think the statistic you're referring to is one of the findings from John Hagen's work on the uh, social impact of parental incarceration. And that demonstrates that children of incarcerated mothers have a 2% probability of completing college. That's down wow. from 40% for that same group. So John has isolated all the, as a good social scientist, has isolated all the variables. And if you look where these children are coming from, the kind of educational opportunities, they would have a 40% chance of going to college if their mother was not incarcerated. The mere fact of incarcerating a mother leads to this dramatic decline from 40 to 2%. Now that's astonishing, and that's something we need to keep in mind as we think about what are the consequences of, of incarceration, of nonviolent offenders. I wanna be clear, we're not talking about mass incarceration generally. Where we've isolated this to nonviolent offenders, there is a very significant social impact to the next generation. And we need to keep that in mind as we th think about policy and changing policy. So other policies that, that you deal with, um, what, what are some examples of like things like the death penalty or? Yeah, so we don't have a work on the death penalty at the moment, although we've done some. We, we've been around for 60 years, so we've done a lot of things. Uh, from the very early foundations, uh, we have been an institution 
dedicated to studying all aspects of law. So we've done compliance work on tax, for example, way back. We've done a lot of stuff on on other areas of criminal justice. But one area that I think connects to this is is, uh, one of our economists, Jim Heckman, who's a University of Chicago economist and Nobel laureate, who's also affiliated with the ABF. And Jim has most recently been doing some tremendous work on early childhood intervention. Uh, And I think we've known for quite some time now that if early pre-K education, for example, and things like that pay, pay tremendous benefits, Jim's gone further. He's demonstrated by looking at a number of early preschool studies that actually the key age is from zero to five. There are so many skills developed at that very early age that can pay off. And and so he's, as a good economist, has quantified the return on investment and demonstrated that the Perry Preschool Project, for example, an iconic preschool program, has about a seven to 10% rate of return on on the investment that's put into that kind of preschool. And that speaks volumes for, for criminal justice. Right? You can imagine, we talk a lot about the pipeline of, from school to prison. Well, how do you break up that pipeline? You don't start in middle school. You don't start even in elementary school, according to Jim's. You start even earlier. And that's where, this, where not only cognitive skills, but what Jim is demonstrating is the importance of non-cognitive skills. Issues of grit and determination are developed very early on in children. And the law can play a part in that, right? And so this is part of our criminal justice program, in a sense, because the payoff can be seen in the criminal justice, but it's it's like it's programs like Head Start, right, that matter. And what Jim is suggesting is that Head Start starts too late, that we ought to be doing it even earlier. So we have a variety of programs that look at the law and the way you're describing, Fabio, in a very broad kind of sense. So you mentioned that a lot of this research that's been around for 60 years yeah. has really gotten um, the attention and turned the heads of people like Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and, and others. Absolutely, yes. I'm glad you mentioned her. So. Uh, Justice Ginsburg was uh, not only a fellow, so we part of what we are is also an honor society. Let me mention that. And so we have what's known as the fellows of the American Bar Foundation, and those are uh, leading ABA members who are selected by other fellows, like most honor societies, Phi Beta Kappa, Order of the Coif, that kind of thing. And as, as part of this honor society, they're also generous contributors, both financially and in their time. And we were lucky enough to have Justice Ginsburg, before she was a justice, uh, when she was an uh, appellate judge, she was not only a longtime fellow, but on our board and on our executive committee. So she's known our work for many years and, and she recently had a nice, we had a nice correspondence with her in which she mentioned that she thought the American Bar Foundation was the ABA's most laudable undertaking. I think that really speaks volumes when a Supreme Court justice not only knows what you are and what you do, but singles it out essentially as the crown jewel of the ABA. So we're quite proud of that. Wow. The crown jewel of the ABA. You get that kind of praise from a Supreme Court justice. Isn't bad at all. No, not at all. Um, Well, let's talk about a little bit how you uh, came to be the uh, director of this crown jewel. Ajay, you went to law school. I did. did I I went to Georgetown. uh, All right. DC. DC. Uh Great, great, great place. And uh, what uh, got you involved in the law? Um, How did you... um, Well, you know, a better question that we have for a lot of our guests is if you could go back to see uh, Juan L. Ajay, what is one or or two pieces of of wisdom that you would provide young Ajay as he he enters Georgetown Law Center? Sure. Because it's a law center. Yes, that's that's (laughs) an official title. Very good. Um, Great question. So let me let me tell you what I think I learned from my experience and then what I think I probably would have done differently. So what I learned was that it's very important to keep an open mind about where you think your career might be going. So for example, I I worked in tax area 
And so I'm a scholar, a tax law scholar, as well as a legal historian. And if you had told me before I went to law school that I would have been a tax geek one day, I would have been highly skeptical. But I was very fortunate to be a research assistant for a tax law professor, uh, Dan Halperin, during my, my one year, 1L summer, between 1L and, 1L and 2L. And it was a transformative experience for me. I thought I, all of a sudden tax became fascinating. I saw, thanks to Dan's help, how tax touches so many areas of policy. And so I always advise my students to keep an open mind. You think you might come in and want to be a litigator because you watched a lot of TV shows with litigators, but you got to keep an open mind. Something like a dry and arid topic like tax or bankruptcy or something like that might not strike some people as interesting, but until you really get into it, you might find it absolutely fascinating. So I always tell my students to keep an open mind. Uh, the other thing, I, I, I guess the, the thing I've learned, and I tell this to undergrads who come to me and ask about law school, I often tell them to take some time in between undergrad and law school because I still think law school is a wonderful investment. I think as we've already talked, Fabio, about the many doors it opens. But I think having a little bit of a life experience in between college and law school can pay huge dividends. I can tell you as a, as a law professor for many years, I can tell which students in my class are coming straight from undergrad and which ones are coming from a little a couple of years off. I don't mean to suggest that the people who are coming straight are not good students. The ones who are motivated are wonderful students. It's unfortunate, though, that, that the motivation often takes strange paths, and motivation can often come when you've worked for a few years, you've had to actually balance a checkbook and pay rent and do a world, real world things like that. Then all of a sudden when you come to law school, there's a certain amount of focus and concentration that you can't get elsewhere. And then the, the mere fact that you've got some experience. So, uh, you know, as someone who's taught tax, I'll, I'll get people who are, who've been actuaries or have done something in accounting and boy, they know a ton. And so they can build on that knowledge and experience. So, so if I were to give any advice to people who are not yet in law school, who might be listening to the podcast, I might think, take a year or two to think about why you want to go to law school before you actually jump right in. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting you say that. I had always um, envisioned transitioning immediately from undergrad to law, and when that didn't happen, it was a kind of an internal crisis I had. I ended up working for um, two to three years uh, in between, uh, and although uh, it was an, an ebb and flow of great experiences and experiences that at the time I didn't think were so great, the real-world application was so much more real uh, for me when I was in those law classes later. The drive to go to school every day was so different. Um, it was uh, it was interesting to be able to break up that um, that life of academia that I had known um, solely and then to then make the choice as opposed to just have another three years tacked on. To I, that I think that's a great example. Uh, I think too many people who, who think of it as just tacking on uh, are often afflicted with senioritis, and it's hard to shake senioritis. You don't want to have senioritis in your first year of law school, right? First year of law school is very challenging. Uh, it has huge impact on what your future career opportunities are. Uh, I've noticed that the people who've worked, even for a couple of years, uh, are less susceptible I would suggest, to senioritis. Um, and it's for the reasons you just suggested, a much more determination about being in law school, and then also a world of experience they bring. Even if it's just for a couple of years of, of work experience, it, it makes a difference. Well, uh, my last question for you is, what would you say uh, is 
kind of um, your life's motto. Uh, it's another question we, we commonly ask some of our guests. Maybe it's something that's rooted in, in something your parents taught you. Sure. And, um, uh, where you grew up, yeah. um, your community, or, or something that, you, you know, as, as you've lived your life, you've, you've uh, picked up along the way. What would you yeah, say? Yeah, great, great question. Um, so maybe it's, it's probably as part of my identity as a scholar and researcher. And, um, you know, if my kids hear this, they're going to, they're going to, roll their eyes, but my life's motto is, and I tell my students, I tell my, my, my own children this, is always remain intellectually curious. No matter what you do, no matter what kind of law you practice, or, or whatever, even if you don't practice law, you, know, you always can grow your mind by questioning and being curious intellectually about everything you do and, and what you face. And so like, if, if I have a motto, it's always remain intellectually curious. Well, Ajay Marotra, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you. I, I really appreciate the, the candid conversation. You know, besides uh, reaching you at, um, is it AM uh, at? Uh, My email? Your email address? My yeah. email is AKM. AKM, I remember. At ABFN. Dot org. Right. Okay, very good. Yeah. And um, so besides reaching you there, do you have a Twitter handle? I do have a Twitter handle. It's my full name. It's at Ajay, A-J-A-Y-K, Marotra, M-E-H-R-O-T-R-A. And I look forward to uh, tweeting this podcast when it's available and hopefully connecting with, uh, with law students and Wildy members and other ABA members. That sounds great, Ajay. Great. So thank you, Ajay Marotra, director of the American Bar Foundation, for uh, meeting with us today and sharing all the great advice and uh, perspectives about what the ABF does for the ABA and the legal profession as a whole. Thank you. It's been my pleasure to be part of this. We hope you've enjoyed another episode of the ABA Law Student Podcast. We'd like to encourage you to subscribe to our show on iTunes. And once you've done that, take a moment to rate and review us as well. You can also tweet us at... ABA LSD and use hashtag Law Student Podcast to tell us what's on your mind. I'm at Fabiani Duarte, and thank you for listening. Work hard, play smart, and until next time, podcasters. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find us on Twitter and Facebook, or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. Remember, U.S. law students at ABA-accredited schools can join the ABA for free. Join now at AmericanBar.org forward slash law student. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.